Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Month Podcast. This is a long-distance episode, and we're actually uh, using the marvels of modern technology to record this conversation from three different states. I'm your host, Nate Larkin. I'm in Florida right now. Mark Whitlock, uh, the, our new fearless, peerless engineer and executive producer, is masterminding this thing from Tennessee. Howdy. And joining us from the far left coast, Aaron Porter. Hey, guys. Good morning, Florida. How's Florida doing <laughs> you right now? I'll tell you what, it is uh, February, as we record this, the third, I think the third day of February. And uh, yeah, Allie and I came down here officially uh, for an insurance conference, unofficially, to get warm. Uh, and the weather has been marvelous. It's in the, it's in the low 80s, it's been sunny and beautiful, and uh, so yeah, we really, really enjoyed it. I haven't spent a lot of time All actually that. in the conference, huh? I saw that Facebook picture of the pools and the bridges, and what, what's that all about? Is that at the hotel you're at? That's where the conference is. Uh, uh, Allie and I decided not to uh, pony up and spend all the money it would require to stay at the Hilton Bonnet Creek Resort, uh, but I drive there every day for the conference. And, yeah, it's just a stunning uh, you know, pool surrounded by a lazy river and palm trees and landscaping and you know you could buy a five dollar cup of coffee and a ten dollar bagel for breakfast and you know it's pretty, pretty much paradise yeah but it, it it was a real struggle yesterday as i you know sat with my laptop on the patio overlooking the pool knowing that the workshop that I was uh, scheduled to, to attend would be starting momentarily in a small windowless room deep in the bowels of the hotel. But but at least the at least the conference topic is interesting. Insurance yeah, exactly. and insurance codes and law. Yeah, because that's good. Yeah. There's an upside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing more <laughs> exciting. I decided that this is why one has employees and why it is possible to purchase recordings of <laughs> conference presentations. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of Facebook pictures, did you see the picture of wide-eyed Elijah that I snapped at the moment of his greatest victory? I did not. I missed this. Okay, so Elijah is your adopted son. My youngest son. He is uh, going to be nine at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. He is He is from Africa. He's easy to pick out in a family picture. <laughs> One of the greatest delights and my desires in adopting an, a son from Africa was that uh, aspects of racism just wouldn't even come up in our family's life. Like, yeah. they, they wouldn't see a person of a different color or a different nationality and have the thought like, oh, you're different than me. So that was one of the desires. But I didn't expect how much accidental racism would come up. Oh, For really? example... Oh, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, my daughter, we gave her, before we adopted him, we gave her uh, an African-American doll. And, of course, she named the doll Brownie, which, you know, maybe that's bordering on inappropriate, but you, what do you do? Yeah, and then she she and her brother are very close, and they play a game together uh, called Darkie and Callie. Okay. Which, 
feels kind of awkward. And in fact, over the years, and I don't even know what the game is. I've tried to ask. It's pretty much they bounce on a trampoline, and that's called Darky and Callie. Uh, I, I'm not going to guess on who's Darky, who's Callie, and how that works. But, but I like just come to me and said, like, you know, I don't, I don't really like playing Darky and Callie anymore, but Abby just likes it so much. So he, he's lovingly. So anyways, in our house, uh, our kids learned to play chess young. And when I learned to play chess with my dad, uh, TNC surf shirts were really popular. Some of our audience will remember the characters. They were just, they're the best shirts ever. But they cost like 15 bucks. And my dad is not the kind of man that would allow buying a $15 shirt when you can go to Kmart and get one for two. Right. So the the deal was when I beat him in chess, he'll buy me a shirt. So I played for like a year straight with him to beat him. Mm-hmm. Finally beat him, got my shirt. So with all my kids, it was the same deal. I said, I'm gonna, I'll get you a classic skate or surf shirt if you beat me in chess. So all the kids try, try, try. Samuel still hasn't beat me. He's coming up on 16. Caleb hasn't beat me. He's 13. But Elijah is amazing at chess. Oh, really? And and I came in one night from work, just see, it's going to sound like an excuse. And I, I have not told him this, but I didn't want to play chess. I wasn't in the mood. And within two moves, he makes the perfect move and wipes out half of my power pieces. And there's oh, nothing wow. I can do about it. And I'm like, oh no. Well, I used to take half my pieces off to play him to make it more fair. So I thought I'll still beat him, but he doesn't make a mistake for the next 40 minutes and beats me in chess, the first child. And he's only eight. But the funny thing was the, the older brothers, very upset. (laughs) And and Caleb says, "You, you know, you just wanted the shirt. And Elijah looks him dead in the eye and says, I didn't do it for a shirt. I wanted to win to be black. Oh, did he really? Now, my oldest son, Samuel, looks at me with this funny look, and I said, Samuel, go write that down. What Elijah actually meant was, I always play the black pieces and have since I was a kid. He always wants to play the black pieces, and I said, hey, if you beat me, you can be whatever pieces you want. And so he was playing to be the black pieces, but he has continued to tell people that he just wants to win to be black, and I delight in the looks on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that's called accidental racism at the porterhouse. There you go. There you go. Now, Mark, you have some experience with adoption. I do. Our youngest is adopted from China, and we've uh, walked through similar waters, not the same waters that you, Aaron, have walked through, but we actually experienced some challenges within our family. Both uh, our moms, both my wife's mom and my mom, really struggled with accepting her, their grandchild, uh, accepting our daughter, yeah. because she was different. Um, and she needed a, several surgeries. She was born with a cleft lip and palate. And I would say that we got more uh, looks and more comments um, about her cleft issues uh, in the process of her surgeries than we did than we did her race. Uh, of course, the craziest thing is when we go to a Chinese restaurant, which we love, sometimes the employees will try to talk to our daughter, and she'll just look at them because she has no context for the language at all. And right, she, yeah, does, yeah. she doesn't know how to respond to that. And so we we, uh, uh, we, we say hello and thank you, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
it is it is an amazing adventure doing international adoption or even adopting here in in America uh, through foster care and things like that. But absolutely, we should do an episode on that sometime. In the meantime, I believe we are going to do a mini meeting. But before we do, we had a great uh, question sent in to us about how do you get a Samson Society group started? How do you keep it growing and things like that? So we're going to touch on that before we do our mini meeting. And uh, Nate, where do you want to start with if you're in an area that doesn't have a Samson Society, how do you get it started? Well, the first advice uh, that I always give is don't try to go big. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, American thinking, our instinctive thinking is, well, we just got we to uh, we've got to make this massive. Uh, and so we'll have, a, we'll have an enormous event or we'll publicize it throughout the church or surrounding churches or the association. Uh, and my experience is that things that start big have a tendency to dwindle. Uh, but kingdom things, things that start small, like a mustard seed, like a little bit of yeast tucked into a, a lump of dough, uh, if they're if they really have the life of the spirit in, if they're kingdom things, they grow. Now there is kind of this um, critical mass, in my experience, that a group needs to reach to really get traction and experience. You know, geometric growth. What would you put that number at for critical mass? Critical mass, uh, a dozen. But you don't. But you don't start a group with a dozen people. Seldom do you start a group with a dozen people. Um, in fact, uh, and although we started the first one with a dozen people, and over the course of the first year we grew it to seven, um, I think. Uh, you know, three, four, five guys together, as long as, here's the thing, which it's, if you have a lifeboat mentality, you'll build a group. In other words, if I need this group in order to survive, then uh, the odds are I'm going to find my way to that boat and I'm going to stick with these men. Uh, guys who only have kind of a casual interest or they're being pressured by a wife or, you know, something to go to a meeting, they're probably not going to stick. But if you can identify the guys who are in, t- in touch with that need that we all have, this need for brotherhood, and they've come up against it, they've, they've tasted the bitter fruit of isolation, they see where it goes, and, and the light has come on, and they go, I've got to have brothers or I'm dead. You've got to find those guys. And it really doesn't take very many, just a handful of those guys to plant a group. And I would say that critical mass isn't necessarily 12 at every meeting, but as 12 guys, no. you know, sometimes you're going to miss, sometimes they're going to be gone for a couple of weeks or traveling on business and you may only have, you know, four or five or six at the meeting. But if you've right. got, if you've got 12 guys who are coming as regularly as they can, uh, you're going to have strong discussion and you're going to have a good pool for Silas relationships, et cetera. Getting started, I think an important thing is uh, a lot of folks think that it starts through advertisement. I'm going to set it up yeah. and advertise, and it's not going to work. Uh, when I started our Samson group, I called three, I think, three or four friends yeah. uh, of mine. They didn't even know each other, 
And I said, will you please come? And I started it for the sake of another guy. I thought that I'd just get it going for like six months and then not go to that meeting. Didn't end up working out that way. But (laughs) I... I called four of my friends and said, hey, this is important for this this guy and, and maybe for you. Will you come for the next, like, four weeks? And they did. And then we asked them to, hey, will you guys, we, we need this to be a little bit bigger. Will you guys invite a few people that you know? And so it, the, the group starts through inv- <laughs> invitation, not advertisement. Right. And I think the, the reason critical mass is so important is because when you get to the sharing portion of the meeting, if you have 10 or 12 people, you can break into two or three smaller groups, which means you are talking with different people. Because when you get into the sharing portion and you're talking to the same people every week, sometimes people, I myself, feel a little ashamed to talk about the same thing that I might be struggling with for a third week in a row. Like, I should have gotten better. But if I'm talking to different people, I actually feel way more comfortable being like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. So uh, there's a really big benefit to that. And uh, on the flip side, I also have been in meetings where I do hear the same person say the same thing for six weeks straight, and I start to want to try to fix them. (laughs) I'm like, uh, you know what, maybe it's time to stop talking about this and uh, and get into therapy mode. And that's not healthy for the group or for me either. Yeah, 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 yeah. So start with invitations not advertisement, and once you get a critical mass, then you can start putting it out, asking a, the church it's at or uh, your church to put it yeah. you know, put it out there as a group that's available for men. All the guys who uh, started the first Samson meeting, all the guys who I invited that first meeting, they didn't know each other, but they all knew me. And uh, they were all guys with whom I had had uh, deep, honest conversations. Uh, not all of them have had uh, a sexual struggle like mine, but all of them were facing a struggle of one kind or another, and they found me as, to be a safe person because I shared my battle. Um, and so the invitation to join the group uh, meant something, and uh, because we already had kind of set this tenor of honest conversation, uh, they came kind of expecting that this wasn't going to be a surfacey deal. Don't invite a stranger to the group who you don't know. Get to know him first. Ask him out for coffee. Uh, spend some time. Share share your story, and then uh, the odds are going to really be more in your favor and his that he's actually going to come to the meeting. You agree, Aaron? I do, and uh, also ask the other guys to do the same thing because if a group stays at four or five guys for too long, it becomes very hard for new people to break in. Right. They will feel like the outsider because everybody else will have shared uh, too much intimacy for too long with no one else. And the structure of the meeting is built so that anyone can show up for the first time and feel like, oh, this isn't uh, overwhelmingly complex. Yeah. Uh, and you, you kind of have to see a meeting, which is why are the Super Samsons still up on the Samson website, that video? You know, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to check whether see whether Super Samsons is still up. There. If not, we should repost it. Uh, 
So there, there was a cartoon that was made by the original Samson guys that kind of shows what a meeting looks like. I say kind of because uh, it shows some of the bad things that can happen. Um, but <laughs> it's important to see a meeting. So I, I think the last thing that I would suggest is take a, a trip with a friend and find the nearest city that has a Samson group and go to one. Because once yeah. you see it, once you see it once, you get it. I had I had read all about it from Nate's book while he was writing the book and everything, and still in my mind I didn't get it until uh, Nate came out and we did a group with a bunch of guys. Yeah. So with that said, anybody can lead a group. You do not need the super leader. You do not need a pastor, a seminary-trained individual to have a group. So this morning we're going to have a mini-meeting, and let's see, I'm spinning the bottle... And it landed on Mark. Mark, you're the leader for this morning. Would you start our meeting? So you spin a bottle to choose who the facilitator is. A <laughs> bottle of what? <laughs> just just one of the empties from my trunk. Yeah, we, we put the notebook out on a seat in the room. And whoever sits closest to it without realizing it, it's kind of like you know putting your, your, your thumb on your nose to see who prays at the, at the table. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, hello, my name is Mark. Hey, Mark. Mark. Welcome to this meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. On this podcast, however, we meet to talk. We have now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experiences. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and hold whatever we say in strictest Strictest, confidence. Strictest confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic for today is chaos. Chaos. But you are not uh, confined to that topic. You may speak about whatever is pressing on your heart. The floor is now open. Well, I'm Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Uh, that's that's a great topic for me this week. Uh, actually, for about the last three weeks, I have been walking through a lot of other people's chaos uh, as part of my job, and it's very much a part of my gift. Wherever I go, I tend to end up in the middle of people's deep water. Uh, and that's okay, uh, but I have found, uh, even last week, I had to just go out of town for a day, hoping to not uh, answer my phone or talk to anybody about their chaos, and I drove three hours away straight into another friend's chaos, and that I was really glad to be there, but I was also very frustrated that... I felt like there was nowhere I could go, 
And if I could just hide from everybody, my life would be more peaceful. Uh, I am feeling a little better after I got some sleep. I was having trouble sleeping, I think, because of all that stress. But uh, that word chaos for me just uh, feels like my entire life, like I'm in a bubble of chaos. And that's, uh, that's really hard. I don't even know what the answer always is because that is a part of my, my job. Uh, but I think it's not a part that I thought I was choosing or signing up for 20 years ago. Uh, so yeah, I've, I have really been struggling just to keep my own, uh, equilibrium. Uh, It's, it's made me feel a lot of anger responses on the inside and that's trickled into my uh, life with my wife and how I respond to her and what grace I have. I just, I'm, I'm kind of feel out of grace for other people. So anyways, feel a little better today, but know that uh, scratch very deep beneath this surface and that anger is still there that I'm trying to uh, surrender. That's all I have to say about chaos. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, you know, uh, I'm Nate. Hi, Nate. Hey, Nate. What the word triggered for me was a memory of the that great recovery movie, uh, Changing Lanes, with Ben Affleck and Samuel L. Jackson. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is Affleck's sponsor in the deal, and... Um, and at one point, uh, Jackson says to him, you know, booze really isn't your drug of choice. You are addicted to chaos. He says, for some people it's coke, for some people it's other things, but for you, you're hooked on disaster. Um, and that, that resonated with me. It, it, it amazes me how um, there is this part of me which I've come to think of as my inner addict, that um, isn't really comfortable with serenity and order and peace and, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, life on life's terms. There is this part of me that just, when things are going really well, I start to get nervous someplace. And there's this temptation just to tip something over, just just to... Uh, it's as though I feel more comfortable when things are going wrong than when they're going right. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, I've had, I was with a, not talking with a friend the other day, uh, a a couple months in, I'm recovering from alcohol. And, uh, you know, so he's been sober, you know, over 60 days, carrying a nice chip, feeling good. Man, he calls and he says, it's the craziest thing. He says, life is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but, um, but I'm getting bored. Um, so, and I know that feeling, I resonate with that feeling. I have to remind myself at times that boring is good. 
that routine is good, that I don't always have to have a three-ring circus around me in order for life to be as life should be. And um, so and I think that perhaps for me, perhaps one of the, the reasons that I find chaos so inviting is that chaos is distracting. Uh, peace and serenity. If I'm, if I'm, if life, if I'm actually doing what I should be doing on schedule, and if I'm not sticking my finger in elect- every electric socket I come to, and I'm not tempting fate by walking to the edge every every other minute uh, to see how close uh, to temptation I can get without going over. If I've actually got good boundaries and I'm not intentionally triggering myself and I've um, hidden my marks with the daily disciplines of prayer, study, and self-examination, if I'm taking the actions of love to those around me, life tends to get peaceful. Now, there's, I have no control over random disaster. Uh, uh, something outside of my control can come into my life at any moment and disrupt things. I'm not talking about that. But um, but in that serenity, when kind of all the outside noise goes down, it's me and my heart and my life and those unresolved issues, those places where I've not yet wanted to go. For example, grief, which we wound up talking about a little bit last week. Um, when it's really quiet, I can become aware of that undercurrent of grief that runs through my life that I find so terrifying and that I don't want to touch. And rather than go toward that grief uh, to trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I can be tempted just to kick up some more chaos, and then I won't have to deal with the grief. Um, So yeah, uh, serenity for me has its own challenges, and chaos has its own appeals. And I do have to be careful to make sure that I'm not manufacturing my own chaos just to avoid facing my deeper issues. Thanks, I'm Nate. Thanks, Thanks Nate. Nate. I remember about—I'm Mark, by the way. Uh, I remember about— Ten years ago, my my wife quoted uh, Top Gun to me. She said, you know, you're not happy unless you're going Mach 2 with your hair on fire. And I interpreted that as uh, a playful quote of one of my favorite movies or maybe even somewhere in the recesses of, of my, uh, uh, my arrogance that, hey, I'm as good looking as Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she meant it as a warning she meant it as a uh, uh, more of a condemnation of the way that I lived more than uh, more than a compliment and it took me a while to realize realize that and to, sh- to change metaphors I can often be the Tasmanian devil and I am I am the chaos creator in my own life I, I don't I, yeah my life is busy I have a lot of uh, of things going on and life can be chaotic, but I come in and just start spinning around like the Tasmanian devil, knocking things over 
for some reason I haven't yet discovered. And so I, I am my own chaos maker and uh, am continuing, continuing to try to figure out why that is and, and what happens. And when, when life gets chaotic, I get, um, I get quiet. I want to get out of there. So I, I make my own chaos. I make life unbearable. And then I want to escape. And mm-hmm. uh, that can be a very uh, wicked combination because it doesn't solve anything. It, it makes things more chaotic, uh, especially for those around me. It, I may, by escaping, I may make it less chaotic for me for a few minutes or a couple of days, but I've actually made it worse uh, on other people. And that's something that I'm trying to... Um, um, trying to work through and and Nate you mentioned boredom uh boredom can be good I, I can see exactly what you're talking about but boredom for me sometimes is bad boredom for me can lead to uh relapse or lead me to uh places that that I shouldn't go so I've got to figure out um to change my metaphor another time what life looks like like the tension of a guitar string or a violin string or a piano string. Um, those strings have to be under the right amount of tension to make beautiful music. Um, if the tension is too less, if there's boredom, then it's not going to sound good. It's not going to be beautiful. Um, no one will want to listen to that music, especially me. If it's too tight, this, especially on a guitar, the string is just going to pop. It's going to snap, and it's going to render the music it's going to bring it to a, a screeching halt and it's going to take time to get the music going again. So somehow or another, I've got to figure out in my chaos making um, how to have the right amount of tension on the guitar strings so that there is music coming from my life that edifies others, that um, is pleasing, uh, etc. So I'm Mark. Thanks, Mark. Well, we will be right back on The Pirate Monk with more questions from listeners around the country.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have more questions from listeners, which is great. We love hearing from you. Uh, there are some we're not going to touch on today, but uh, they will come up in upcoming episodes. But we're going to answer two, actually three, but we're going to combine two of them. That's more information than you need. Uh, here's the first one. Do you believe a person can engage in casual porn use like they would a glass of whiskey or three or four beers? That's the question. I'm shooting it over to you in Florida. All right. Uh, do I believe that a person can? Oh, yeah, a person can. Do I believe it's wise? No. Do I believe a, a sex addict can do it successfully? No. Uh, I think that I, I, I don't see really that it's helpful to draw any kind of equivalency between alcohol and uh, pornography. You know, the Bible does speak approvingly of uh, alcohol use in moderation, uh, but strongly condemns uh, drunkenness. Uh, the Bible does not speak approvingly of lust, even in moderation. Uh, Jesus said, you know, to look at a woman, uh, just to look at a woman with lust is the equivalent of adultery. So, um, which is a really good reminder to all of us. It helps keep us, uh, it reminds us that, that, that we commit adultery multiple times a day. But um, here's the thing about porn use. I know there are, uh, there are, I have to make the case these days when I talk to high school and college audiences that pornography is actually destructive uh, because porn has gone mainstream and it is becoming more and more a generally accepted idea that pornography is harmless or even helpful uh, when I know that the opposite is true. I know that for a sex addict or for somebody who has become addicted to pornography, uh, 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 even even a small hit of porn is deadly. I like. Well, will you will you de define that real quick? When when do you cross over from being a casual user into wow? I I think this is now under the category of addiction. Yeah, it's taken over my life. Well, I mean, when I sit in an AA meeting and I hear an alcoholic say, "For me." Uh, one drink is too many and a thousand is not enough. I know exactly what he's talking about. For me, uh, now I don't have that, that, uh, compulse, that compulsive component doesn't hit me with alcohol, but it sure hits me with pornography. So if I, uh, put my, if I, if I allow myself to go to that first image or that first video, it's off to the races and I can tell myself that I'm going to stop, but, it's not going to happen, and in fact, the cycle is going to begin again, and I'm going to take up where I left off, and um, lust is going to take over my life again, and it's going to uh, it, it, it's going to erode and eventually destroy my capacity for intimacy. It's going to uh, compromise my ability to love anybody because uh, I will be conditioned to lust. And I will be objectifying people. So, you know, when it becomes, you know, an addiction is an addiction. When I continue to engage in uh, destructive behavior, despite 
my uh, 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 my intention to stop. When it's destructive, I know it's destructive. When I've decided to stop and can't, uh, then I've crossed the line and I'm into addictive behavior. And some of us are really kind of set up for porn addiction. Through all, you know, uh, I kind of had a classic setup. Uh, and if we're especially vulnerable, then we're addicted from the first look. There are other people who, uh, for whom, you know, pornography is equally destructive, but it doesn't hook them as hard as fast as it does for us. But I would still make the case that even casual porn use is uh, unhealthy and uh, destructive. And uh, I wouldn't endorse even casual porn use. I, and I wouldn't, you know, there are those who say, you know, it can help spice up a marriage. I beg to differ. Uh, it can introduce lust into a marriage. It can turn uh, the marriage bed into a performance arena. Uh, there's certainly, uh, you know, it can um, bring some a, a new element of excitement into the bedroom. Uh, but that excitement comes at the expense of intimacy. Uh, and there are other ways uh, to find a deeper and more satisfying excitement. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an advocate for use in any, in, 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 in any volume. So I think the for anyone that is thinking of arguments to what you're saying, uh, it all does simply come down to Jesus' words saying, what's happening with your eyes is going straight to your heart. So even if you aren't experiencing a, a neurological uh, hold, like you're, you're not addicted to those chemicals that come rushing into your brain when you look at it, you still have to face the fact that this is not simply a neurological issue. It's a heart issue that Jesus wanted us to address. And if you're single, you're setting yourself up for things that'll be difficult when you're not single. If you're married, you're putting false intimacy in between the intimacy between you and your wife. It is there. It is affecting it. And I do have husbands that say, no, I don't, I don't lack desire for my wife after I look at porn. I actually am like way more excited to be with her. And so that is trying to say this is not changing my intimacy between me and my wife, but it is because the excitement that I am needing so that I can direct it my wife is through false intimacy with other women that are not real but con controllable figments of my imagination. So uh, that's where if, if I find, oh, I, I need that or I enjoy having that, the real question to me as a married guy is what – what am I not cultivating with my wife where that is necessary, where I'm finding more delight in having a, a warm-up game before going to the real thing? And those questions are important to understand my own heart. So I love the questions. A great question. And uh, you, listener, are not the only one who has asked this question. It's certainly no, one, one that many, many men ask and uh, grapple with. I'm grateful for the question, too, and one of the things that I thought of when I read it was something that, that I've seen in my own life and I've seen in others. I don't know this, this man's heart, so I don't presume that this is what he's asking behind the scenes, but 
it's certainly what I've felt a number of times and what I've seen other guys feel, and that is looking for a way to justify my behavior. Um, well, hey, you know, this is, this is just like having a beer. You know, I'm just having a beer. Uh, and there are ways that I can justify the lies that I tell or I can justify my struggle overeating. I can justify eating a whole, you know, whole bag of M and M's one one night, as opposed to, uh, I mean, that's a pound bag, um, as opposed to just eating, you know, one serving. Uh, and then I've run into some guys who struggle with the difference between grace and license, and they mm-hmm. seem to have mixed up the definition of those two words. And um, there's grace when we fall. There certainly is mercy uh, and forgiveness and, and grace and uh, a sense of being uh, reestablished uh, in our relationship with Christ, in our relationship with our brothers, or even uh, there can be forgiveness in a marriage relationship, etc. But just because there is grace doesn't give us license to practice certain behaviors. And uh, I have justified that in a number of ways in my own life, and I've certainly seen other guys stay on a destructive path longer than they should have or longer than they needed to because they were trying to um, trying to substitute license for grace. And I hope that mm. that's not that's not the case for for me for too much longer. Awesome. Well, here's two questions we're gonna tie together. Uh, the first is uh, obviously someone who is not landlocked because they ask, how and when do you get to the point of being able to go to the beach? It seems to get mentioned lots and is a boundary for me not to go to the beach. It's too tempting to sink into fantasy and objectification. How does a sex addict or porn addict get to that point of testing the waters? I don't know if the pun was intended, but well well done. All right, so... That question is also similar to another, which is how do you navigate media and entertainment without triggering lust? When triggered, what are your primary remedy actions? So two questions coming from two different perspectives, but if you don't have a beach next to you and you think you can tune out from the question, tune back in because I think both of these touch on the same thing. So first thoughts on Beach. Let's start with beach and then go to entertainment and then go to remedies. Okay. You're at the beach right now, Nate. Are you trolling? Well, actually, I'm in Orlando. I'm in the middle of the Florida Peninsula, so I'm not on the beach. Uh, There are, and and there were years when I would not even consider going to the beach. Uh, When my, my, my brain was so conditioned by lust that, uh, I couldn't see people. I could only see bodies. Um, I, uh, and fortunately, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm not somebody who's, I'm not a head turner physically. You know, there are kind of two sides to this lust thing. It can be, I want to lust and I want to be lusted after. And, uh, so you're saying you're, you're not the guy in the, uh, the little man bikini. You're the man in the trench coat with the binoculars. I see what you're right, saying. Yeah, okay, go yeah, on. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so, I mean, the, the issue can play different ways depending on where you've gone uh, with lust in your own, in your own uh, heart. So, fortunately, the battle I've had is the battle against lust, not the battle uh, against being lusted after. Um, 
and these days I'm just an old guy and uh, I like to get warm and there's good exercise walking along the beach. I still, though, uh, if I go to the beach, there's always that uh, part of my brain that would like to go back to the old habit of just uh, grazing the smorgasbord, uh, capturing images, and going to fantasy. Uh, the, the, the way that I actively combat that is uh, by praying for the people that I see as I walk along the beach, male and female, and reminding myself that these are all uh, people like me and people uh, with hurts, fears, insecurities, hopes, dreams, histories, families. Uh, these are... and. Uh, if I can maintain uh, an attitude of love as I walk along the beach and actually pray for the people that I'm walking past, it can actually be a, a good spiritual experience. It's, it is possible at any time, though, for that to take a, a left turn. If I abandon uh, the course of love and slip back into old habits of lust. and uh, So, uh, you know, it's... I don't go to the beach every day. It's a, I don't live near a beach. It's a rare thing. Uh, if I'm going to go to the pool, if I'm going to go to the pool, I'm, I, I'm not going to angle my chair in such a way that I'm going to get, you know, uh, you know, the, the best view. If I, it's kind of like if I go, when I go to the gym, when I go to the gym and there are these ranks of, of, uh, 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 treadmill. Yoga. Yoga pant clad treadmills. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, yeah. Uh, first of all, I go to the rec center that's mostly old folks, but there are a few young folks that come. And then, uh, and if you're listening, and if you're listening, and you're older, Nate isn't saying you're not sexy. So right, he's exactly. not an ageist person. You are hot in yoga pants too. <laughs> but I, 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 I've learned to take to go to the front. I go to the, but let them look at me rather than me in the back looking at them. <laughs> yeah, let me give some. Let me give some specifics from a uh, a person who dwells at the beach, if I may. Okay. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is if I'm thinking I want to go to the beach, and there's something in my head that's I want to go to a well populated beach. I mean, we have a beach in a university town. I want to go to the beach where all of the college ladies are going to be sunbathing well then that's a problem and the answer is don't go yeah. the second thing is i i go to the beach with my family which really puts a damper on uh, active participation in lust watching <laughs> uh, so as as a practical thing go to the beach with uh, another person or your family if you have yeah. one or friends where it's going to be focused on community with them not on spectating yeah. the third thing is i love to go to the beach alone but i want to go to the beach alone to be alone it's it's my most prayerful place as every molecule of water sings in total obedience to its creation it's the most worshipful choir in the world to listen to water and it can be a river or it can be a wave but to me that's the best so there are tons of beaches if you love beaches where you can reclaim the beach as an intimate time between you and your abba 
And that's that's when you know your desire to go to the beach has nothing to do with bikinis or breasts. Yeah. So yeah. just as some practical things, if you're in a populated beach, just don't don't go alone. There's no reason for that. If you want to be alone, go somewhere and be alone at the beach if that's your struggle. And I think that's when you'll know, yeah, I can start going back to the beach. All right. Second question, how do you navigate media and entertainment without triggering lust? Got to say that there's an awful lot of programming that seems to center around eroticizing the population. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I have a rule. I don't turn the TV on in hotels. Um, uh, Allie likes to watch TV with me. Uh, but when we sense that some kind of a uh, sexual scene is coming up, uh, if we're in a movie theater, uh, I'll look away or go for popcorn, or Allie will just put her hand over my eyes. Uh, <laughs> at home, nice. I'll just make a trip to the kitchen, uh, and she'll holler when the scene is over. And uh, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I mean, it's just now. It's just matter of fact. That's how we do it, and there's no shame around it. Uh, for guys and marriages early on in this process that may be awkward but for us that's just the way we do it so there's there's some answers right there to the remedy actions the first is to not put yourself in a position to be alone where you're going to be triggered and give in to that second is to have an open relationship with the people around you if you're married with your wife to be able to just say, you know, this isn't good for me. It doesn't have to be like a giant uh, detailed confession of what you're being triggered by. I think that woman is so amazing, you know, stuff that brings insecurity into her life. But simply to say, this, <laughs> yeah, you laugh, but you know, some husbands have done exactly that. <laughs> uh, but, but to simply say, uh, honey, this, this is not, this isn't good for my heart to watch. Uh, I'm going to go in the other room, let me know when this is done, or can we watch something else? But to have that much honesty, and then they'll start to be more sensitive to that. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be any more than that. So there's a couple things right there. I had the privilege of working on a project uh, when I was at Family Life about uh, media usage and families and such, and there are some cool things that, that we, we came up with and we've actually practiced in our house and then have worked. Uh, we've made the uh, inappropriate moment uh, when we're watching something together as a family or as part of a family fun. We we have a the secret word. It's pillow. And we say the word pillow. That's the time when everybody under a certain age or, you know, the guys or whatever would grab a pillow and put a pillow in their face. And we say unpillow. And they take the pillow off. So we've kind of made it a game uh, that goes uh, goes along with that. Uh, which can which can be fun and and therefore the the adult in the room or or mom if it's in the case of something that might be um, sexually charged would mute the television and be the one who, who called that. Uh, one of the biggest things you can do is just watch media on purpose. Don't watch everything. Don't have the TV on in the house all the time. Right. And right. if you're watching on purpose, the incidences of that can be a lot less. If you love to watch sports, the um, advertising executives of the world have made the commercial breaks incredibly sexually charged. Yes. And uh, so it might be a good idea to mute it. Uh, you take out the music, you take out the voice, you take out some of that. 
Uh, if you can watch a sporting event or a television show on delay, if you have a DVR and fast forward through it on mute, it actually helps a lot uh, in that regard too. These are uh, ACE bandages for your, you know, your knee when it hurts. These, this is ice on a wound or, you know, these are, these are crutches. If you're stumbling, these are not prescriptions. They're not means by which to become uh, uh, legalistic by any means, but they're things that can help you in that area. If you're struggling. I love that your pillow idea includes bringing your children into it because one uh, real lust killer is bringing your kids into the conversation. Uh, That's super good, positive uh, shame. uh, You know, anyways, you get it. So I, I just, when you said that, I thought back to my like sixth grade uh, seventh grade year. I love Samantha Fox. Some of you might not know who she is. She's amazing. Uh, in the eighties, her music was the most saccharine pop with a British accent. Amazing for a seventh grader. Loved her. Okay. In fact, I used to call her uh, fan line one nine hundred F O X X. It costs like three bucks a minute, and I know it showed up on my parents' bill. And I really wonder what conversations my mom had with my dad when she saw one nine hundred. I never heard about it, but later I thought about it. Anyways, I remember I was I was listening to it in my bedroom. My dad came in. He's like, "What are you listening to?" And and it was there were some pretty sexual lyrics that I didn't actually understand. And he looks at the liner notes, and it says, "You can also buy Samantha Fox's uh, single Touch Me, I Want Your Body.'" I clearly remember the title of that song. Yeah. And my my dad sat down on my bed, and we had this conversation about, you know, this isn't the kind of love that God wants for us. I think media gives us an in when we turn something off, when we put the pillows over our face, not just to say, unpillow and let's move on with life, but unpillow, let's talk about why that has nothing to do with the abundant life. And then, then it becomes something that's really positive because our family and even ourselves, we're reminded to keep the things of God in front of us instead of just saying, well, you know, I won't watch that. It's more than I just won't watch it. I won't watch it because God wants better for me. Yeah. So I love the pillow idea. I love the having the whole family in on it in a non-shaming way. Anything else you want to add before we uh, start to wrap this up on media? I've exhausted all the wisdom I have on media. In fact, several minutes before I stopped talking. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, I traveled uh, some in my career, but last year I spent uh, over 250 nights on the road uh, for one of my clients, and it was in hotel rooms and was brutal. And the, the two things that I practiced, one uh, were something I learned from a friend of mine a long time ago. The first thing you do when you get to a hotel room is you put a towel over the TV. Second thing you do is you put the remote control in a drawer. The reason for both of those things is not because television is evil or nasty or I'm going to be legalistic and not watch television while I'm in a hotel room. It is so that you have to watch on purpose. You can't watch casually. You can't be bored and reach over and grab the remote. Both of those things are reminders of of the dangers that lurk there, uh, and also mm-hmm. a reminder to watch to to watch on purpose. 
uh, and then uh, I tried to uh, keep a keep a routine. So if you guys are traveling, uh, try to keep a routine on the road as well. Of, of when you call home, of 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 your if you have a quiet time or a personal devotion schedule, that you do that. Try to keep a bedtime routine, um, so that uh, just because you're in a strange place in a strange town and different surroundings, uh, that routine and some of those things will will, will keep you uh, on track and will prevent you from from getting into that that media hole, uh, which can yes. be can be tough to get out of. Good advice. And don't be afraid to leave a room, a hotel room, and go down to a restaurant and read a book or mm-hmm. uh, do some work on your laptop. You don't have to sit in the middle of temptation and white-knuckle your way through. There's always other answers. Pick up a phone and call a brother and say, man, I am, I'm in the weeds right now, and have a conversation with them. There's always other options. Amen. Yeah. With that, it is time. We are at 59 minutes and 46 seconds, and that's not counting this lovely song that Mark put in the middle of this episode. So it's time to go. Another episode in the can. The questions that we talked about on today's on today's podcast came from our survey, which many of you have taken. We've had several more take in the last week, so please go to piratemonkpodcast.com and click on the survey link and tell us what you think. Ask us some questions. We want to make this show uh, richer and, and deeper for you, and uh, we want it, we want to hear from you. So so be sure to come on there, and we'll have uh, some things on the show notes uh, this week as well at piratemonkpodcast.com. And we also would love to have some uh, some phone messages or some voicemails. Uh, you can leave a voice mess message using the microphone on your computer or your phone when you go to piratemonkpodcast.com. Scroll down to the bottom of any page, and you'll see the ability to leave. A voicemail there or uh, in the show notes for every episode there's a phone number an actual living phone number that you can not living but you get the point that you can call and leave a voicemail that way as well we want to hear from you this is your podcast and we want you to be involved in it as well all right so until next week i'm nate i'm mark i'm aaron and uh we're your friends we'll see you next week i'm the pirate Milk podcast Oh, Cafe and Junior P. Preaching recovery.